0: Welcome to this episode of ClearedCast, your source for security clearance, intelligence community, espionage, national security, and defense contracting updates, and our exclusive interviews with intelligence community and government leaders. First, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by SpyCast, featuring interviews and programs with ex-spies, intelligence experts, and espionage scholars. The SpyCast is hosted by Andrew Hammond, historian and curator at the International Spy Museum. Hammond brings expertise in Anglo-American intelligence, the late Cold War, and social and cultural approaches to intelligence. The International Spy Museum in Washington D.C. is the only public museum in the U.S. solely dedicated to espionage. Today, I am joined by one of our very own news site contributors, Christopher Burgess. He focuses on everything intelligence and espionage, and spent 30 years with the CIA. Christopher, thank you for joining me for this episode of ClearCast.
1: My pleasure.
0: Excellent. So, there's been quite a bit when it comes to insider threat, and I know that the National Counterintelligence and Security Center just declared September 2020 as Insider Threat Month. So, do you think that is because of the recent cases that we've seen
1: with insiders? Frankly, I don't know what went into choosing September as the month. The National Counterintelligence and Security Center has been in existence under various names for for many, many years, and they have always been promoting insider threat programs. Indeed, since uh, 2011, an executive order that required all federal agencies with access to classified information are required to have their own insider threat detection and prevention program. So uh, this isn't something new. Uh, The Insider Threat Awareness Month, I think it's a great idea. Timing's perfect. The year 2020 has seen a plethora of insiders, some of them selling intellectual property, some of them doing damage to their employer's goods and services, and others doing the exact right thing when approached to do damage to the company instead of doing so reporting it to their employer. 2020 has given us the 360, if you will, of the insider threat.
0: Sure. And before we dive into some of these cases, because there are a few that I did want to touch on this morning, but when it comes to, you know, these insiders, keeping insider threat awareness, I think at the forefront of national security workers' minds is is extremely important. With these insiders that we've seen, I did want to get your opinion. Are we mostly seeing folks that are approached by our adversaries, or do you think that we do have some classified workers that are seeking out our adver- adversaries to you know, sell classified information?
1: Well, both of those are correct, and I'm gonna add a third. Individuals who don't pay attention to detail and inadvertently put their employer and their employer's information at risk. All of that is insider threat. And so, yes, a competitor, a criminal, or a nation state will be looking for your employee in order to induce your employee to provide information to them so that they can advance their costs. Criminals are looking for monetization and enhancing their ability to penetrate another company or yours even more deeply. Competitors are looking for that competitive edge, especially the unscrupulous ones. And then the nation state is oftentimes working on a national security or defense topic, but they also might be trying to preserve their economic edge by helping your competitor. As you know, I wrote the book *Secret Stone: Fortunes Lost* with Richard Power. In that book, we talk about the insider, the competitor, the nation-state, and the criminal. And when they all work together, we call that the perfect storm.
0: That's a great reminder that ignorance is not bliss when it comes to safeguarding information. And you know, sometimes it's the folks that don't know what they're doing that the dummies, I suppose, that can also be a detriment. Well, well, one of the things, Katie,
1: that uh, I've noticed over uh, the many years that uh, I've been walking the earth is that especially when it comes to protecting intellectual property or protecting the assets of one's employers, be it the nation, you know, in, in the defense sector, intel sector or private sector, is that folks don't think they can be the target, nor do they think they have access to anything that's sensitive. I can't tell you the number of times when I would speak to industry where folks would come up and say, I'm not working on anything classified. What what do I have to lose? And I would ask them the question, Do you access your employer's network? Yes. Do you get email? Yes. Then you have something of value to someone. That's a great point. It just
0: reminds me, you know, even as a recruiter and not necessarily have, I know that a lot of recruiters within the defense industry do have clearances, but even if you don't, you have access to a list of names that could potentially be targets. So that's a great reminder that even if you don't have a clearance or you're not working on a classified project, you need to be on the lookout and be on the defense, absolutely. Now let's dive into some of these cases. I'd love okay. to start going back a little bit. The Chinese Intel asset with the LinkedIn accounts. Could you give us a brief synopsis of that one? I know that one is is a little less recent than ins, which we'll get into, and then the good news story. But let's start out with uh, LinkedIn.
1: So LinkedIn, I call it the virtual battlefield of human operations. Human intelligence is the art of painting uh, human sources, not technical sources, to uh, provide you information. And the very first warning that I saw coming out of a government was back in uh, 2015 when the government of the UK sent a warning out to all their employees saying, hey, don't overshare on LinkedIn. Fast forward to the most recent case where this individual Set up, he was Singaporean, he was recruited by uh, the Chinese to obtain assets that had information of interest to the Chinese on, on specific topics. What he did is he set up his LinkedIn account, he put together criteria, and then he let the LinkedIn AI do the work for him. You know, we, we we wrote the piece and we called it, you know, he was addicted to uh, LinkedIn. But what he was addicted to is that every day LinkedIn, through their artificial intelligence algorithm, was suggesting another person for him to approach. I did speak to uh, one of the individuals who was approached by uh, this individual. Yao it was his name. This individual said, Yao was very ham-handed, but if somebody is looking for an opportunity, doesn't have an income, sitting at home in the age of COVID, and somebody like this approaches you and says, hey, would you like to do a little consulting? It pays well, you, you know, it's stuff you already know, at least have the conversation. It's hard to say no when your family needs food. He was more than successful, and so he was able to put in touch uh, with the Chinese MSS, their Ministry of State Security, a variety of targets, and as he progressed through this, he became more adept at filtering out where he started out in the beginning, he would, he would just send profiles to the Chinese. Then he started being more selective when he started understanding what got positive feedback. He was arrested recently in the US and there's two takeaways here. Number one, the Chinese continue to try to heavily leverage what I call the foreign born Chinese, those who are ethnically Chinese and pull that uh, pull that string, they also are now more than ever using third parties to try to access individuals specifically. Not only did we see it with the Singaporean, but if we we go back a little bit further, Katie, we see the case of that former DIA and CIA contractor who also used his LinkedIn connections to tee people up.
0: I encourage everyone to go onto news.clearancejobs.com and check out that story, especially the first person accounts, Preston, the retired U.S. Army CI officer, to the, in quote, to the boys over at the MSS, nice try, but no dice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So Preston was very nice to give me some time and uh, chat with me about the approach and how ham-handed it was.
0: So moving on to the three-part article that came out on this news site in the last couple of weeks. Debbins. This is going to be a deep dive. So, why don't we start out? Give us a
1: summary of how Debbins was groomed. So, in part one, we talk about the approach to Debbins, how he was targeted, and how he was teed up. So, it's not unusual for university students to do a semester abroad. It's a well-established programs within many universities. In Devin's case, it's important to understand that his mother emigrated from the former Soviet Union, and thus Russian was his native language, as was English. He was bilingual from the get-go. He had a cultural affinity towards Russia, because understandable, you know, if if your parent is an immigrant, I find it Totally logical that somebody would have an interest in where your parents come from. So he did his semester abroad in Chablinsky, Russia. And during the era of the Soviet Union, Chablinsky was what uh, was known as a closed city. No foreigners were ever allowed there. The major tank manufacturer for uh, tank as in military tank manufacturer was located in that city. Off goes Peter Devens for his uh, one of his final semesters of university. He is in the uh, reserve officer training corps of his university when he goes there. and he's there, biology happens, boy is attracted to girl, girl is attracted to boy, he has a girlfriend. And the Russian girl, who would later become his wife, her father was a uh, colonel in the uh, Russian Air Force. The way I see it progressing, though we don't have the exact details, but I I submit and therefore uh, my analysis is that the father did what every employee with a clearance in the U.S. would do. When you meet a foreign national, you report it. I met this college kid. He's he's in the Reserve Officer Training Corps. He's an American. He's dating my daughter. And he just reports it to his security personnel at the the Air Force Base there. Well, time passes and it goes to the desk of the GRU guy who's assigned to the local base. And he says, well, maybe I go talk to this guy. And he does so. Devin practically jumps into his lap because we would later learn this is why he went there. He wanted to go there and establish a relationship with the Russian government. In his confession, he said that he wanted to take down the evil Russia and he wanted the the local service to help him do it. But I get ahead of myself. So back to that, they talk to him, they chat with him for a period of time, they get some biographic data, they introduce a seasoned human officer coming out of Samara and they leave it there and they leave it there because he's got a Russian girlfriend, he's still in university, he has access to zero secrets and he has this great affinity towards Russia. So the GRU has zero risk at letting this sit and simmer. and It was very wise because he goes back to college, he graduates from college and then he comes back to Russia Once he graduates from college, he has a deferred period of about 10 months before he has to report for duty. So he said, well, I'm going to go to Russia and do business. Well, he went to Russia to see his girlfriend and get married. And it's during that time that we move on to part two of this three-part series that GRU formalizes their recruitment and handling of Peter Devon's The Mole is here we have a young man who's about to become an officer in the United States Army. Again, no access, don't really know if he's got the uh, fortitude or the temperament, but again, we have nothing to lose. He's here on our territory, we're not putting any assets at risk, let's talk to him some more. So they do, they get him on board, they have him travel to Samara, which is on the Volga. They put him up in a little resort for three days, and during those three days, they get to know him, and they also issue him his first piece of what I call covert communications which is a means to contact them should he be in Russia again so that they can continue the conversation. Again, no tasking. The only tasking he was given is do well in the military. We see this organization, Russian military intelligence organization that has been in our news for, you know, fiddling with our elections, uh, being ham-handed in assassination attempts, etc. but they're very good at running human assets. And so they have a patience here. Long story short, over the, the next eight years or so, Devins works his way through the military, He becomes a special forces officer, he gets assigned to central Eurasia, Azerbaijan, he has access to secrets, he makes multiple trips back into Russia because his wife's Russian, and so, he just puts in a leaf slip and says, I'm going to go visit my wife's parents. After his first tour of duty in Korea, he goes to Russia. He comes back, and he reports to Port uh, Polk, and he gets debriefed by the S2 uh, folks, and they said, what were you doing in Russia? Because I was visiting my in-laws. Were you approached by anyone? No. You know, the, the whole debrief happens, and he moves on. He goes again in 2003. He gets debriefed on his unit, what's going on, who are the players, what, what are they doing, what's the order battle, et cetera, and then he leaves again they aren't giving him any tasking. They are satisfied to let this young man grow. And that's what he's doing, he's growing. So back and forth, he gets debriefed again when he comes back out of Russia. Apparently everything went swimmingly well because then he he goes into special forces training and gets assigned to the special forces unit. Over in Azerbaijan, he gets caught in the switches. He brings his wife to Azerbaijan, why not? Uh, Russian is spoken there, they both speak Russian. And while she's there, he hands her his government phone to use. That was his security violation that got him kicked out of Azerbaijan. He let his wife use his government phone. Not the most salacious thing to ruin a career on, but apparently it did, because shortly after, Devens leaves the military. The Russians don't know he's left the military, or they may know, but they don't know from Devon. And then that's in 2005, they have this long hiatus and he, re- he goes back to Chelya Blinsk to visit his in-laws and the Russians approach him again. They give him an accommodation address, which is a, uh, they say, send us a postcard to this address and we'll, we'll know that if you're in danger and we'll see what we can do to help you. Uh, he still had his telephone number and he used that every time that he would go back to Russia. But when he went back to Minneapolis, after getting out of the service, he and his wife bought a small, modest house there. And he went to work for two companies that, I, I like to say, of, of no intelligence interest. You know, he was just doing work. And then around 2010, he goes back to Russia. He tells them that uh, he's moving to Washington, D.C. They introduce to him a commercial covered officer to talk about, and he says, I only want to talk about business. And they talked business, but he goes back to Washington, D.C. And that brings us to the third part of the series. The first two parts were taken from the indictment. And the indictment we were we learned uh, last week was based on his own written confession. Devins contends that in 2010 was the last time he spoke with the GRU. I'm skeptical. The path that his resume showed, which was also uh, shared in the arrangement, the sleuthing that uh, I was able to do through open source information, is that he walked through the intelligence community. He walked through the defense community. He was assigned to the Joint Intelligence Training Center in the UK. He was able to work within the DIA. He was able to work within the NSA. That's just far too many blue chip targets to say, I never had any contact. Because when he left Russia in 2010, he had in his hand, a full on communications capability. They'd given them a commercial cover for action, they'd give him emails, they'd give him written communication, how to write a letter and get our attention, they gave him phone numbers to call. He had a means to communicate every time they had information. What we know for certain is that the government has enough information to indict him, and the grand jury did, he will probably enter a guilty plea given that he wrote a confession. That will be the end of the publicly available information because they don't need any more to send him to prison. They don't need to show how he penetrated the NSA or the DIA or the Joint Intelligence Training Facility. But what we have here is a different case with Peter Devins because it wasn't money. In the multiple years of his engagement with the GRU, He received $1,000 and they forced that upon him, according to his words. But they made him sign a uh, receipt in his operational alias they had issued him. They gave him a Russian military uniform while he was in Russia as a gift. Peter Devens was a heritage and ideological volunteer recruitment for the Russians. And I think in the, the months and perhaps year to come, we will learn more and more about the damage that was brought to the United States, NATO, and its allies by one Peter Devin. Kind of long-winded walk through the three-part series.
0: I'm I'm right there with you when it comes to the skepticism piece. Taking a look at the timeline between 2011 and 2020, the different agencies that he supported and the different contractors that he walked through, I, I'm right there with you on that one. It, it, it's just uh, too ripe a fruit mm-hmm. to not be picked. Absolutely. And it, it is a good reminder. I know that when it does come to insider threats, money a lot of the time is the motivation, but dedication to another country. That's kind of what we were working with here. And that's a good reminder as well that money is not always the motivator.
1: Number one motivator for an insider is uh, vengeance, actually. Oh, okay. You've pissed off somebody and they just want to get even, they got a bad efficiency report or their, their boss treats them poorly, or they're not being respected, or they don't think they are uh, being uh, recognized for their contribution. Aldrich James, famous CIA uh, penetration for the Russians, uh, he thought he was smarter than everybody, and he wanted to show everyone he was. Yeah, he, he, he took money. What walked him through the door wasn't the money. What walked him through the door was the excitement, the I'm not getting the recognition inside, I'm going to show people.
0: Yeah, I the vengeance. I'm too tired for vengeance. <laughs> so let's
1: let's end on a good note, though. Uh, let's let's close off with Tesla. The Tesla case is pretty interesting because we only know what we know from the criminal complaint, as well as some open source research that uh, I conducted, as well as Elon Musk confirming that it was indeed uh, Tesla. A Russian criminal named uh, Khrushchev, and made contact sometime before with a foreign national H-1B visa holder working for Tesla in Sparks, Nevada, who spoke Russian. I think the individual might be a Russian citizen. Not sure. Lots of countries have Russian speakers. Let's assume he is. So he he's met this person before, and he contacts him via WhatsApp and says, hey, I'm coming into town. I'd like to meet with you. Khrushchev goes, sure. Khrushchev shows up, and the insider says, uh, Hey. You know, let's go to dinner. Here's some other of my colleagues, also Russian speakers. And they they go out to dinner and they go uh, to uh, Lake Tahoe. And while at Lake Tahoe having fun, uh, Khrushchev takes this uh, gentleman aside and says, um, hey, I've got a special project. Uh, It'll be lucrative for both of us. I'd like to talk to you in more detail about it. And the gentleman listens, as uh, all of us are wont to do, and they go back to Sparks unbeknownst to the Russian who came in with the the offer is that the employee reports it to the security officer at um, Tesla, and they immediately bring the FBI into the mix. And that's when under FBI control, the follow-on meetings to determine exactly what this Russian who came in specifically to meet this individual at the beginning of August of this year, is secure his cooperation and collaboration was looking to do. What he wanted to do was ask the employee to insert a thumb drive into the Tesla network that would compromise the network and allow this Russian and his group that he represented to basically create a ransomware scenario where they would force Tesla to pay big bucks to get their network back. Negotiations started that uh, there was $500,000 to be uh, divided between them. And that grew to a million under FBI direction. The gentleman played hardball, and it ended up that they offered him a million dollars to compromise the Tesla network. The individual, Krushka, offered up additional information that was elicited by the insider. And that was that was just marvelous. And kudos to the FBI for coaching him on this, because additional names of other victims of this group were elicited. They have not been made public, but they've been elicited. The gentleman said that they had collected $6 million, $4 million. There had been a case where they wanted $6.5 million, but they note, negotiated it down to over $4 million. And so I did some research, and I noticed that the day before Khrushchev's arrival in the United States, CWT traveled, negotiated and paid a $4.5 million rent. I'm going, okay, maybe related, maybe not related, but certainly coincidental. And so Khrushchev heads to uh, Los Angeles, I'm sorry, Kirchhoff is interviewed by the FBI. He's just interviewed. He isn't uh, detained, he's interviewed. Following the interview, the FBI watches what he does. Well, he contacts somebody in Russia, get me an airplane ticket, I got to get out of Dodge. He drives down to LA, he goes to the airport to get on a plane, and then he gets arrested. And this is a gold star example of an insider program win. Everyone who manages insider threat programs be pulling the court document down, and we give them a link in our article, putting it up on the screen to show how employees should act whenever they come across an anomalous behavior or if somebody approaches them to engage in deleterious activity with respect to their employer. The fact that this individual turned down a million dollars to protect his employer with no guarantee that it would help him transferring his H-1B to a permanent residency. This guy just did the right thing. And I I would submit that 99% of the people that are out there or more will always do the right thing. The number of people who will engage in malevolent activity is very, very small. But because they're the insider, they can do tremendous damage. And that's why we need insider threat programs.
0: Well, and it's really nice to hear and see a story like this almost as just motivations for future insider threat programs for some of these contractors and even commercial companies like we see, you know, Tesla. And I, I do have to say, I believe that Clarence Jobs, we were one of the first
1: news publications to put this out. So hats off to you, Christopher. Well, it uh, it, it broke. And uh, I, I will say I got a lot of uh, pushback saying, how do you know it's Tesla? And I said, well, My research shows me it's Tesla. A lot of folks thought it was somebody else, and uh, Elon Musk came out and confirmed it for us. And so that was uh, very timely. I think folks were waiting to see who it was. But Tesla has been a subject of IP theft in their Sparks facility before. And it stands to reason that when you added up everything, especially given that it appeared to be a Russian national approaching a Russian national, That wouldn't be a defense contract.
0: Thanks for walking through these cases as we kick off Insider Threat Awareness Month. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners
1: with? Well, yes, Insider Threat Awareness Month. A lot of attention is paid to foreign powers using trusted insiders to compromise uh, their data. More attention needs to be paid to helping people understand the processes and procedures of your company so that they understand the why behind that and don't create their own workarounds because it's more convenient and then the insider is putting you at risk. It's so important to have that conversation with your employees because if they don't understand the why, then they'll figure out a different way to do it. They'll figure out a way that's more convenient for them. The adage is that convenience trumps security every day of the week, and it does. In order to have folks embrace the safeguarding of your information, embracing the safeguarding of their employee, they have to understand why they're doing it. And I think that's where our insider threat programs are the weakest. So many of them take the approach of I can't trust you, my colleague, And I've said many times, then why the hell did you hire them if you can't trust them? It has to be from a position of trust. It has to be from a position of people break trust, but give them alternative paths so that if they have financial difficulty, they don't look outside, they look internally. If their child is sick and they need resources, they look internally not externally. So many outside pressures are present that cause people to make decisions that are bad. They're bad for you, they're bad for the employee, but they're in a situation where it's desperate. But more importantly, humans are basically creatures of habit and what we do is we look for ways to get things done in the most efficient way because we don't have enough time in the day. And if you have three steps to protect your information but it can go faster if I only use these two steps, you have to make sure the employee understands why that third step is there and what happens if they don't use it. That's my tip.
0: Everyone, Christopher Burgess, author, speaker, security strategy guru. Thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through these cases today. This is Katie Keller, editor at clearancejobs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cleared Cast. For more information on career and recruiting advice, visit news.clearancejobs.com.